Hard Feelings by Mark Coggins is a bang bang thrill ride, says best-selling author Seth Harwood, who adds that the lead character of Winnie is a female Jack Reacher. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 20. Reardon. In spite of my pronouncement that she was right about dealing with the pair of them in Palm Springs, I was shocked. The anger that caused me to savage the one in the cottage was a puny thing compared to the white-hot fury that drove Winnie. This was total war to her, pure and simple. I ran up to where she knelt by the body, watching as she patted the dead man's pockets. Nothing doing she said when she came up empty. Okay. Okay. That all you got to contribute? Get the Lincoln. I'll get this shit from the cottage and meet you by the ambulance. Sure, I said, happy to be doing anything but standing over her and the dead guy. Got it. I broke into a trot, dodging between scrawny pine trees until I came to the clearing in front of the cottages. Across the way was a hotel office, and in a parking spot next to the entrance, the Lincoln. The only problem was the green and white Nevada County Sheriff's car lurching to a stop behind it. The driver's door flew open, and out gushed 300 pounds of khaki-clad, wispy-haired deputy. He wore a tactical vest with the word sheriff stenciled across the front, but it was at least two sizes too small for him. With his fat belly bulging out of it, it looked more like an armor-plated bib. As I came up to him, I saw that he was not only dressed for a SWAT team response, he was packing heat for one, too. He held a powerful FN-57 pistol in a combat grip. I just had time to shove my own Luger into the small of my back before he caught sight of it. "'Officer,' I said, "'thank God you're here.' His face was flushed, and he was already sweating. My guess was suicide bombings were a far cry from his usual duties of wrangling drunk drivers and juvenile delinquents. "'What's the situation?' he asked in a Joe Friday voice. All I know is I woke up to the sound of an explosion. Then, a split second later, I heard another one, not quite as loud as the first. I was afraid to go outside, but then I just had to take a look. The cottage next to mine is on fire, I guess from the first explosion. I don't know about the second one. He gestured over my shoulder with the gun, still holding it in a two-handed grip. So the cottage with the smoke coming out of it, that's the one on fire. I had to bite the inside of my mouth to keep a straight face. Yes, that's the one on fire. From the explosion. I was staying in the one next to it. Did you see the occupants? Yeah, I did. Good-looking middle-aged guy with a heavy build. Looked like he worked out. Apparently, this description of my self-image didn't ring any bells with him because all he said was, Right. What are you going to do? I expected him to say, Wait for backup, 
and then I would find some excuse to ask him to move his car. Unfortunately, he seemed to take the question as a challenge. Go into the cottage to look for survivors, of course. Shouldn't you? You wait here for the sheriff. Give him your story when he arrives. But, and stay back, he called over his shoulder as he rumbled past me, the ring of fat beneath his tactical vest bouncing like a rubber donut. I watched him glump towards the burning cottage with a kind of obsessive fascination and then forced myself back to the problem of the stuck Lincoln. There was no escape from the front. The tires were jammed tightly against a concrete parking block, a sidewalk's width away from the slab-sided hotel office. At the rear, the passenger door of the cruiser lurked no more than a yard from the Lincoln's bumper. A siren wailed in the distance followed by a much nearer squawk from the cruiser radio. Unit 131, check in, it commanded. Hearing the radio made me curious. I ducked my head through the still-open door and, wonder of wonders, spotted a ring of keys dangling from the ignition. The prudent thing would have been to pull the cruiser out of the way and then vamoose in the Lincoln. But the driveway was narrow, and I worried about the time it would take to get the sheriff's car completely clear and the Lincoln pointed in the right direction. I dove into the cruiser and cranked the starter. The engine caught immediately. I shoved it into reverse and backed down the drive, the transmission whining like a living thing. As I crawfished out into the road, the radio squawked once more. Unit 131, report. We're two minutes from the prospector inn. What is your situation? I risked a glance back at the fat deputy. As near as I could tell, his situation was disbelief. He stood with the rubber-necking guest in front of the burning cottage with his mouth hanging open, while a little girl next to him pointed gleefully at the fleeing cruiser. I slammed it into drive and zoomed around the wide corner to the back of the complex. Winnie skulked by the ambulance with the duffel bag in her suitcase. She caught sight of the sheriff's car, took a guilty step back, and tried to hide the sawed-off she was still carrying by her side. When I screeched to a stop just in front of her, and she recognized me through the front window, she cursed and hurried forward with the duffel bag. I popped the rear door locks and jumped out. What about go get the Lincoln, didn't you understand? She nearly screamed into my face. Believe me, I would have brought it if I could. More cops coming, less than two minutes out. Tremendous. I yanked the back door open and she flung the duffel bag into the caged rear seat. She hustled back to get the remaining bag while I dove behind the wheel. She joined me in the passenger seat and we were away. I vote for Highway 20 heading west, I said. It's only a few miles to Yuba City. We can ditch the cruiser and rent a new car there. No, Highway 20 heading east, the way we came. Three miles out of town, we exit on Coyote Ranch Road. What's on Coyote Ranch Road? A heliport. A heliport? Are we going to get away in a helicopter? No. The reason those two assholes were on us so fast is the winemaker flew them in. A helicopter is waiting to take them back. I glanced over at her. She looked as grim as I'd ever seen her. You got that from the guy you shot in the crotch? Yeah. 
He gave me the name of the place. I used my cell phone to check it out on Google Maps, and it's legit. It's a private heliport for a ranch. I didn't say anything for a moment. Seems like the risk-reward ratio is a little skewed. It's a big risk to double back. They might not be there when we arrive, and even if they are, a helicopter doesn't exactly qualify as a priority target. What if the winemaker is sitting there waiting for them to report? What if he's sitting there and we let him fly back unmolested? We'll never have this clear shot at him again. If he's there. Yes, if he's there. But I know some of them are there because I found a radio in the ambulance. They keep calling to check on our buddies from Palm Springs. I thought about it. From what I knew of the winemaker, it wasn't completely beyond the pale for him to try to be in on the kill no matter how bad his disabilities. Okay, I said, I'm in. I steered us along roads that paralleled Highway 20, staying off the highway proper until we were almost out of town. After that, it was a two-minute ride to the turnoff for Coyote Ranch Road. As we bumped over the cattle guard that fronted the gravel track, the cruiser's radio came to life once more. All units, all units, be advised that Unit 131, vehicle stolen, I repeat, Unit 131, vehicle stolen. Suspect is a white male in his early 50s. He is armed with an assault rifle. Approach with caution. Winnie clutched at the dash as the car jolted over a washboard section of the road. Armed with an assault rifle? Where'd they get that idea? I gestured with my thumb. I guess you missed the little beauty behind us. Winnie glanced back at the strangely shaped weapon hanging in the gun rack behind us. It looked more like an overgrown staple gun than an assault rifle, and it was the cousin to the pistol the deputy had been carrying. Like the pistol, it was made by F.N. Herstel in Belgium and fired a nasty little 5.7 by 28 millimeter cartridge with a polymer tip that had been designed to penetrate armor. For all the wallop the bullet packed, It was smaller and lighter than conventional 9mm ammo, making it possible to cram an astounding 50 rounds in the rifle's clear plastic magazine. Stop, barked Winnie. I stood on the brake and the cruiser skidded to a halt just before the road began the climb to a flat-topped hill. What the hell? I'll drive. You're a better shot than I am. If we've got that thing in our arsenal... I'd rather have you hanging out the window taking pot shots than me. I nodded as I shoved the gear shift into park. We raced past each other at the back of the car, and Winnie got the cruiser rolling before I had even pulled my door closed. As she tore up the hill, I snatched the P-90 assault rifle from the rack, cleared the safety, and set the selector to automatic. Then I mashed down the electric window button. When I thought about it later... I realized that a cop car was just about the worst vehicle we could have chosen to approach the helipad. They were expecting the ambulance, but they might have at least waited to see who was driving if an unmarked car approached. There wasn't any question about a Nevada County Sheriff's Department cruiser. We caught a little air as we came over the crest of the hill. About a hundred yards to the left was a slab of concrete painted with two concentric circles. A helicopter with its rotors spinning was perched in the center. Winnie didn't waste any more time with the road. 
She bounded over the shoulder, angling directly for the helipad. The ground was rough pasture, bumpy and covered with thick grass, but that was the least of our problems. The helicopter was already airborne and too high above us for me to shoot out the window by the time we reached the concrete. I tumbled out and pointed the P-90 at the belly of the ascending beast. Pulled the trigger. The 5.7 by 28 millimeter ammo had less recoil than 9 millimeter rounds, but it was louder and produced a brighter muzzle flash. I felt the ejected shell casings bounce off my thigh as they streamed down from a chute behind the grip. The first few rounds missed the helicopter entirely, but as the pilot dipped the nose to bull forward, I saw an angry little hole appear in the aluminum skin near the tail. I stitched a line all the way to the front of the craft and then crossed the T at a place I imagined the pilot must be sitting. Abruptly, I ran out of ammo and the P-90 bolt locked open. At first, I thought it had all been for naught. The helicopter beat serenely forward, no flames or even oil trailing in its wake. Then the craft rolled, flipping on its side like an overloaded wheelbarrow. It dropped straight down. The rotor hit first, churning up dirt and debris like a giant weed whacker and causing the main shaft to wobble. The entire craft shook in response. Then the blade shattered, sending fragments scything through the grass. The fuselage pancaked into the earth, twisting and wrenching across the pasture as the amputated rotor continued to spin. By the time the motor finally died, the helicopter lay in three steaming pieces. I didn't see how anyone could have survived. Winnie had watched the crash from behind the driver's door of the cruiser. Now she shouted for me to get back in, and we bounced over the pasture to the wreck. She leapt out. Are you sure this is a good idea? I called to her back. What if the fuel catches fire? She waved me off, hurrying towards the cockpit as she worked the pump action on her sawed-off. If the winemaker was in that wreck and alive, she was going to make damn sure the second condition was temporary. I ran after her, drawing the Luger as well. Winnie leaped onto the nose by the cockpit door. The door itself had sprung off and was lying several feet to the side. The remains of two men in paramedic uniforms were strapped in the front seats. There was very little blood, but heads, torsos, and limbs were twisted and mangled in ways that I didn't think possible. The seats behind them and it ended up in a separate section of the wreck, but they were empty. The winemaker hadn't made the trip. Fuck, said Winnie. Double fuck. She stared down at the mangled flesh. Check their pulses. You're kidding me. Do it. I clambered onto the nose and stepped gingerly into the wreck. The first whiff of aviation fuel came to me, and I thought how ironic it would be if we were to die from an explosion at this point. I touched the throat of the guy strapped into the chair to the right, the uppermost chair now that the helicopter was lying on its side, and felt for a pulse. There wasn't any. Seeing how two of his shattered ribs protruded from his chest, that wasn't very surprising. I squatted down to check the pilot. At first he seemed to be in better shape, but as I turned his head to get better access to his throat, I found a bloody red laceration under his chin. It wasn't a neat round hole. P-90 slugs tumble as they fly, but it was clear to me he'd been hit by one of the last shots I'd fired into the cockpit. 
He died instantly and had sent the helicopter gyrating into the ground when he lost control. They're both goners, I assured Winnie. Now can we get the hell out of here? She didn't answer. Instead, she slid off the helicopter and trooped over to the detached door. Grumbling under my breath, I hoisted myself up to follow. By the time I reached her, she had flipped the door over and was reading the print on the outward-facing side. Marionette Vineyards, Healdsburg, California. Bastards, she said. We got back on Highway 20 and drove to Yuba City as I had originally suggested, but not before Winnie stowed the helicopter door in the cruiser's trunk. In the bustling metropolis of Yuba City, we found a freight forwarder to ship it to Marionette Vineyards. Winnie took a sharpie and scrawled on it in big black letters before she let the shipping guy nail the lid of the crate in place. You're next, she wrote. You have been listening to No Hard Feelings, a finalist for the Forward Reviews Book of the Year Award. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Thank you.